0: life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time That's the second
1: time it's has gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never got, got home, those, those
0: guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better.
1: You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's
2: almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, Whatever. Hello there. You're welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast, and a belated Happy Halloween if you didn't catch our Bank Holiday Monday football podcast yesterday. If you're going to have to take these off, I'm afraid. Here you go. Oh, no, I accidentally uh, rang our bell there. That wasn't uh, even deliberate. Those, what have
1: we? Ha- what do we have here now?
2: Oh, it's just uh, we had a swizzle love hearts. Yeah, love hearts. Yeah. Fizzers? Fizzers and a refresher bar. A refresher bar. Once oh, again, on. Murphy stocked up on the sweets in the McDevitt household, but had very few trick-or-treaters. One, to be precise. <laughs> One so, trick-or-treater. There was a lot of me, and I was on my own in the house, so I'm going to be honest. I, I say we, I'll I'll take full blame for this. I gorged myself on um, a lot of that stuff. In fact, give us those love hearts back, will yeah, yeah, well. the refresher, so you can keep the fizzers, it is disgusting. Okay,
1: there you go. Fresher. Okay. Thanks a million. So oh. you're leaving me with some... Swizzles They're not great No Swizzles is the overall
2: brand oh, okay. Swizzles okay. also make The beautiful love hearts But I don't want you To be smirching Their great brand if, uh, you know, ju- I've, Just based on their
1: There's really no way In hell I'll ever Even one of these <laughs> No they're not good They're not good Listen no Like we appreciate Swizzles And they do great work There are other candy Companies out there Of course That you can also support um, I'm just saying They're not for me Okay.
2: We have a big interview today on the show with Cahill McCarron, currently nominated for an All-Star after another big season in Tyrone's full backline. But to honest, the football really just provides a bit of backdrop to his new book, Out of Control, How My Addiction Almost Killed Me and My Road to Redemption. In the book, McCarran details the gambling addiction that's taken over his life since he was a teenager and some of the depths that he's gone to feed the habit, culminating most spectacularly and I guess most publicly in a gay porn movie that he acted in, while living in London to make a few quid. He was, I think, you know, in the book he, he explains how it was that he came to be in that situation and to go and do something like that. And he, I, once it became public, when the footage was sort of leaked out and people in Ireland got a hold of it, he as you might imagine, was in about as dark a place as you can possibly be. The sort of rock bottom that you hear people talking about. Thankfully, that was enough of a spark for him to go and seek treatment again because it wasn't the first time that he had gone to get treatment but seems to be doing well now. He teamed up with Chrissy O'Connor who's been responsible, for some outstanding books in the past. Last Man Standing, the club I think would be Two of the best sports books have been written in the last number of years.
1: Yeah, without doubt, yeah. Uh,
2: It's an amazing read out of control. It's very, it's uncomfortable at times, you know, there's, well, uh, not just at times, it's uncomfortable most of the time, I would probably say, Uh, you know, he did do some pretty horrendous stuff to friends and family in the midst of this addiction and he gets, he doesn't really spare any part of himself in giving, uh, in putting this story out there. It's complex stuff, so we'll give it a good bit of time today, call McCarron. In studio shortly The Irish rugby squad Has been narrowed down For Saturday's game Against the All Blacks Which we will have a look at Right after this That's
1: and right that's You're so a real Irishman you get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes yeah. And the puchine Huh? And the puchine Oh
0: yeah There
1: you <laughs> are Born and bread Yeah In uh, County Meath A little place called Navan. So uh, In recent iterations Of the Pierce Brosnan American Shadow, Our listeners have moved away From the original motivation Of the slot on. I don't know If you've noticed this uh, which was to hold a sign that said Hashtag p In a far-flung exotic locale Photos We've had plenty Just no signs uh, Well luckily I can say that today's email Is on a mission to bring him back oh. Good afternoon Second Captains Mark Chirazi here from sunny Australia Pronounced Chirazi Sort of like Kamikaze mm-hmm. Not really like Kamikaze Mark But I, I appreciate your efforts Long time listener second, ta- uh, second Captains devotee But first time caller I'm wondering if we've broken the p Bezo record by having 20 of us burly Irishmen standing side by side here in Bury, south coast of New South Wales, about 140 kilometres south of Sydney. You have indeed, because I have in front of me a photograph of all 20 men uh, holding aloft. Hashtag P-Bezil signs. The occasion was Phil Breed and Stag last weekend. Uh, who you can see sitting in the middle like a giddy school kid. We represent the generation of expats who have travelled over, survived the carnage, and now are steadily being married off to Aussie women and settling down. Don't worry, we still can't afford to live where we rent, but sure, we'll deal with that in a few years. We frown at the idiots who fall about Bondi at all hours of the morning, giving us a bad name, yet we're more than happy to travel two hours south and carry on the exact same way ourselves. Is there a worst kind of immigrant? Anyway, enough chit chat for now. I hope you like the printed signs I met, and that there isn't a letter from your lawyers in the post for a legal reproduction of the lo- of the logo. If you haven't already trashed this email could you give a huge shout out to Phil and Mary who are getting married this Friday November 4th. Love your work uh, Mark. Phil, Mary congratulations. Oh yeah we've got it in there
2: just in time why are we recording this in the first?
1: Well, well listen Phil obviously some of your friends are idiots I don't want to point out <laughs> the seven that I think look particularly idiotic in this photograph I think that would be unfair but uh, have a great day have a great day this Friday. Mark, great sign printing. If anyone else out there fancies, printies, fancies printing out 20 plus, hashtag people Be as signs for a stag. And want to share that information with the world, email us at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com and I may or may not grant you a reading. Our news
2: is broken today. Paddy Jackson is out of the Ireland squad to play New Zealand in Chicago. Himself and Stuart Olding, his Ulster teammate, have been questioned by the PSNI in Northern Ireland in connection with a number of alleged sexual offences. The two of them... Uh, were among three men arrested and interviewed in relation to these alleged uh, offences at a property in South Belfast on twenty eighth of June. Ulster Rugby have say they are the players are assisting the police with inquir- inquiries. The players deny any wrongdoing and have not been charged with any offence, as no charges have been brought forward. It would be inappropriate to comment further. Jackson's legal team this morning said that he rejects completely any allegations made against him. It does in the short term, in, in the rugby sense, mean that he's out of the squad, Simon, which uh, means Joey Carberry's meteoric rise continues. He'll be on the bench against New Zealand, presumably.
0: Yeah, the Paddy Jackson news obviously coming completely out of the blue. Joey Carberry, unless you've watched a lot of All-Ireland League in your time, or Athai rugby underage, or every Leinster game this season, uh, you won't know much about Joey Carberry. New Zealand-born, his dad got a job in High when Joey was 12, uh, so the family moved over here. Um, he played then for a thigh. His dad was his coach, as is the trend these days. If your dad is a coach and you're an out half, such as George Ford. Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell, that was the other one I was thinking of. It means you're going to be a success. Uh, so his dad coached him. Then he was obviously very good. Went up to Black Rock College for his leaving cert. Won well, a Senior Cup, obviously. Uh, and then, still very young, but a hot prospect at this stage, went to Clintarf. He was behind quite a few uh, other out-halves in Leinster. And uh, he went to Clintarf to just get regular game time at out-half. And uh, as you can imagine, for a guy who's come through at Leinster and now is in an Ireland squad, and maybe playing against New Zealand at the weekend, he absolutely tore it up in the All-Ireland League. Um, scoring tries from everywhere, creating chances for other people. Just really exciting, really fast, really dynamic, a risk-taker, but a lot of the risks coming off. Wait a second, did you say risk-taker? I'm not <laughs> sure
2: how much a certain national team coach who is now going to have him on the bench this weekend will, how many risks he'll want him to take if he comes on for 20 minutes against New Zealand at Chicago it's with absolutely. the game on the line. We're okay, Simon, so, mean, we're eight points up, there's 20 minutes to go. Johnny Sexton's leg is hanging off him. Does Joe Schmidt put his
1: faith in Joey Carberry to steer the good ship Ireland home? <laughs> Boris to the finish line, Joey.
0: Yeah. Is off. he Take capable of
1: boring us into sub- boring the New Zealanders into submission?
0: Ah, look, it'll be fine. It's not as though Johnny Sexton has had any injury issues no. or uh, has come off in almost every Ireland game. with about ten minutes to go, um, he he's clearly a guy. If you bring him on, you know what you're going to get because he he doesn't play any other way. I don't think he can play percentages. Not that he's made many mistakes, by the way. He's what he's done so far is has turned out right for him. Um, His full senior debut for Leinster was against Treviso and he scored within three minutes. Uh, He scored another try later that game. Just had an unbelievable game. The question being if you have a millisecond or two less time to make your clearance kicks, to make your pass, and he plays it right on the line. I mean, he's a very modern George Ford type out half. Um, And a bit like the Southern Hemisphere trend of Bowdoin Barrett and Bernard Foley and these guys, the speed almost of a winger, certainly of a centre, um, so they make their own breaks they're a threat all the time they're always looking to offload uh, and their pace kind of half gets them through the tackle even if they're not that powerful so very modern style but the question is the higher level just, can he do it
2: yeah just reading the. I'm, I, presumably he will be able to eventually I mean, who knows yeah, maybe Maybe this is uh, this is the chance for him to kind of jump through a couple of phases of his career Um you know, in an unexpected fashion. Just on a couple of the bigger names, uh, who's been left behind? Sean O'Brien.
0: Peter Armani and Peter
2: Armani yeah. I see the Irish journalists are writing about the New Zealand players' surprise that O'Brien has been left at home. I suppose he'd be one of the few players that they'd be quite familiar with.
0: Jerome kind of describing Sean O'Brien as our physical spearhead, which is evocative language. But he, I suppose they see him as one of our game breakers. And we don't have a ton of guys who would scare Southern Hemisphere Defenses. But I think the case of Sean O'Brien, correct decision uh, by Schmidt to leave him out. Peter Manny, I thought, was a bit closer to uh, test match fitness and has played really well. Mm, well, he looked great. Um,
2: r- I think we're all going to remember that game against Glasgow for, for as long as we yeah. do he, he seemed to be back to near enough. His, near his enough. I wouldn't there.
0: say his full level. Certainly his ball carrying wasn't as good, but that he got another game in and sort of moved on a little bit from there. Whereas I thought Sean O'Brien... He was a good bit off his best That's extremely high standards He was more about uh, Destructing What Connock did Than uh, doing a whole lot With ball in hand But I just feel like Later on in the series Sean O'Brien can make an impact And the options Ireland have For later in the series Are pretty good Um, Assuming things don't go too badly In the first test in Chicago
2: Your early prediction on that one? Have you got a chance? Uh, No No I
0: genuinely would be happy With a 20 point differential What? I think think that would be a success Yeah.
2: Losing by 20 points Would be a
1: success Yeah their average win. I'm shocked. The the was it their average win or the lowest win that they had in uh, the rugby championship was 19 points. Yeah, but come on, what we're better than Australia, South Africa, and Argentina. We're not playing them at home Murph, either. I said, but come on, I didn't say I had anything to back it up.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> come on. Yeah, come I'm on, Irish. Murph, I think on. Ireland.
1: I think I might be with Simon on this one.
2: We're joining the studio to talk about his new book, Out of Control, How My Addiction Almost Killed Me and My Road to Redemption by Tyrone footballer Col McCarran. Col, thanks very much, first of all, for making it in. Thanks for having me here, boys. It's, uh, I suppose the, f- the most obvious question is why you wanted to go so public about uh, a deeply personal story?
3: Um, yeah, I suppose um, I get asked, asked that question quite a lot. Um, a lot of my story was out there in the public eye. Um, and people were hearing things, and uh, you know, putting things together and saying this and saying that, and uh, I suppose I looked at it as that, um, you know, it was a it was a way till, maybe, set the not set the record straight, but to maybe help people understand where it was at. Um, uh, also, um, it probably more so um, than anything else was probably to give people uh, hope that, you know. They can go to where I went to, and you know you can you can come back and and have a normal life out of it. You know.
2: What about for yourself? You're you're kind of talking about the impact on other people. Did you? Has it helped you to get a m- more complete understanding of your addiction, or did you already have that based on going through recovery?
3: Probably had, mo- I probably had a lot of it. I don't know a hell of a lot of work on myself. Um, i done an extensive bit of counselling with myself and then spent quite a bit of time in, and even in Murray after I went through my own recovery. I spent another eight months down there and uh, worked with um, recovering drug users. And um, I suppose I had a quite a bit... Uh, you know, the book itself was was more to... I, I didn't really learn much about myself writing the book as I had done an awful lot, but there was times when I, when I was telling Christy some stories. I looked at it from a different perspective you know, maybe how my father was feeling at that time, um, or my mother or you know, it did it wasn't like I wrote the whole book and things didn't happen for me or or, or 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 that, but um I feel that um it was definitely a good thing to do therapeutic ways Um but um the main aim of the book is to is to to see how bad addiction were brought me to and how how, you know, People think that there's no way out. That there, there, there's always a way out. You know, but you just have to see some sort of light. You know. Yeah, it's it's a
1: bizarre kind of Irish thing sometimes t- to say to people. You know, you should just keep your head down. And you know, the idea of of sharing, you know, an issue that you have is kind of seen as you know, you. It's just something that you should just bur- bury all the time. I mean, a key part of recovery, whether that's alcoholism or gambling addiction or whatever, is actually telling your story to 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 other people as part of you know gamblers anonymous or uh, alcoholics anonymous and so so you, as you say you're really really comfortable doing that but that there's a difference then in telling it to a writer and i was wondering as you've just said there it it's it's it seemed like th- th- that would t- telling it to someone who wasn't a, addicted to gambling or had gone through any of the treatments that you had really actually helped you
3: well look at um i suppose I was talking to Oshin about the book and I asked I asked Oshin, like, you know... Um, that's, that's Oshin McConnell. Oshin McComble, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah. Uh, I asked Oshin, like, you know, if he had to write his book or if he was, you know, who would he recommend? And they recommended Christy O'Connor. Um, so, look, that was good enough for me. Um, you know, so he was kind of, he kind of put me in touch with Christy and um, it went from there. Like, I have to say, I felt from day one I got a great... Um, Christy got a great understanding for addiction, and I think as the weeks went on, he understood a lot more about it. Um, and uh, like it, it is tough. You were saying there, it's it's the whole it's different sharing in a GA room or 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 sharing you know your story and, and amongst other recovering uh, addicts. It is, and it's quite it's quite different by sharing with people in in public, but. Um, to me, people say Jesus is great honesty and great honesty, but to me, it's it's just become, I suppose, this last nearly two over two and a half years has become just a way of life, you know. I don't, for me, trying to be honest and stuff is, is a big part of recovery and um, uh, telling my story, I've dealt with so much of it myself, um, it becomes a lot easier to tell and I think it's, uh, you never become... You never become used to telling it, or sometimes when you tell it, you learn wee bits and pieces about the story, different pieces that you haven't found. And um, every time I share it, even sharing it here or sharing it there, it, it, it helps me that wee bit more. You know.
2: When did the story start, Carl? When did you place your first bet? What age were
3: you? I was, as far as I can remember, I was about sixteen, um, and was in, uh, was hanging around more I think it was after a, a club game playing for the club, and I was just hanging around the town. It was kind of the thing to do. You know, you were hanging around the town and 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 you know, I, I, a friend of mine, um, I was hanging around with, we went into he says, like, mum, we we'll go in here and have a see what's correct is and have a bet. So I went in and placed a bet, I think it was one fifty and and, and and a number of uh horses or, or, or it was a accumulator or something of that kind and at one I think I made a one six pound or something like that, but at sixteen, fifteen, sixteen it it's it's you know, all I was thinking was running to the shop to buy sweets, you <laughs> know, and I thought this was great and probably the worst thing that happened to me, you know. But at the same time, I believe my addiction was an escape, a form of uh, an escape. So, uh, you know, I could have talked to something else as quick a, as. An escape from what? Escape probably from, you know, uh, growing up. Um, like, we, my parents, were, like, my father probably and my mother, like, would be heroes. I, I loved them to pieces, and my brother and sister. And just growing up, you know, probably I, I share it in the book that uh, all my family, my mother and father kind of fell out of love, maybe. Not younger than uh, and, and stayed with each other because of probably us for a long time. And um, it was a difficult part of growing up at that stage. We were only 10 or 11 and probably seen things we probably shouldn't have seen. And I believe that training now to be a counsellor, you know, a lot of things uh, develop later in life due to your childhood, you know. And I believe that probably the three of us have our own character defects and we deal with things differently in different ways. Um and my my I was my escape was gambling. I found gambling. It could have quite easily been drugs, you know. Um, and uh, like it, it could have quite easily been been that uh, like I might have been here today, only I found gambling. You know.
2: How did you know that you or, or looking back now? When did you go from somebody who put a bet on like that, won a small bit of money, as the rest of your mates were probably doing, to somebody who had a bit of a problem here?
3: <sighs> It was actually unbelievable how quickly it it hooked me. I'd say I started gambling at sixteen, and I had a serious serious problem at eighteen. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I, I share the story. I went and bought a car. I was I always worked like I was a bricklayer out out on the site, and I went and bought a car. Um, I think it was seventeen, and and went in and signed it, and and finance, and you know, a new car, sports car, like an Astra, and um. I couldn't couldn't afford the payments after a few months, and it was lifted, you know. And uh, from then, like it, it, like a lot of my friends were in, and they were gambling, but it was different to me. I was different. Like I used to stay there, and Saturdays they were looking for me, and this place you couldn't get signal in it, so they couldn't they couldn't find me, but they knew where I was. And I couldn't leave there every Saturday. I'd get my wages on a Friday, and I couldn't wait to get into that bookies on a Saturday morning. Couldn't wait till it opened.
2: Was and it because you wanted to make money? You wanted to earn money? You wanted the buzz of at that stage, at that time,
3: day? it was probably both. Right, it was probably trying to make easy money and uh, to get this this feel. This I suppose looking back now, I didn't know what this adrenaline was. It's mm-hmm. a rush, that's buzz, and it was probably later in life that I found that um, it's never. It was never about the money, really. But it was about this feeling, this rush to to get, you know.
1: Yeah, and and from both of your parents, then, you know, the you kind of played the fact that they were separated nearly off each other, and there was an element certainly reading the book that your your dad kind of enabled your problem because he felt maybe at some levels there a guilt that the the relationship with your mother kind of broke up, and as a result, he didn't call you on the problems that you were getting into with gambling. Uh, as, as, as you know, any sooner than he actually did. Look at uh, my father. I, c-
3: I couldn't speak highly enough of the man. Um, but he probably was enabling me, but out of love, I think more so than anything of for course, his yeah. child. And um, at that time, like seventeen, eighteen, gambling. It's only really this last while that this gambling seemed to be a problem. Like you know, it was. It was said to me many a time that, look, you Will you stop what you're at here? Like, catch yourself on. You know, that's that's the way it was. It was looked upon as, you know, just this, this. You're you're acting a you're acting a madman here. Would you would you fucking catch a grip? Like, you know. And um it's only this last while where people can understand that that actually is a serious problem. Like, you only had to look at my bank statements, Um and I wasn't buying myself nice clothes or running around buying nice things. It was going completely to gambling. It was labrooks the whole way down my bank statements and. I think that's the best way to, to tell people that people that say oh you're only using you're only using gambling as an excuse like if you if you if you look back at my bank records you would say there's something seriously wrong with this man here why is he spending all his money in gambling you know and,
2: and some of the some of the things he got up to at a very early age mm-hmm. to try to feed this habit I, I think are worth exploring here a little bit I mean for example getting credit cards getting credit cards Based on your mum's name, sent to your own house, they eventually did separate your parents, and she was living elsewhere. So you saw that as an opportunity to, um, to, I suppose, try to make some money.
3: Yeah, look at, uh, I'd be the first to say when you're in the gambling and you're in that world, you're the most even person and sneaky and deceptive person. Basically, you put on a mask to to to, to the person that you're in front of. How you want them pers- to perceive you, you know um like i I would be the first to say that when you're gambling, you're thinking so much about how to get the money because the money is like to the drug addict is like the heroin or the hit, mm. like without the money, I can't have the bet, so you're always thinking of how do i how do I get this money if you haven't got it, and th- you know i was i if you look back I, I tell I tell the story about that in the book, um it shows how. Cunning and how deceptive I I really was, you know, um, and where what lengths it would have took, like uh, to to what I'd done to get money to gamble. It was
2: a bunch of credit cards, more than one credit card. That it, you was, had it was a few credit cards, yeah.
3: and and my mom, like she's God, love her. Like she she didn't even um, she didn't have a clue this was going on, and I was spending the money on gambling, all gambling, gambling, and in my mind, if I can let you into an insight into a gambler, I made a put on the first bet and I might have put on, it might have been a few hundred pound, but in my mind, I was trying to say, I'll get that 300 pound, and I'll keep that 300 pound, win it, maybe double my money, put the 300 pound back in the credit card, and then I'll have 300, I'll i I'll, I'll, play off that, but I lost, I lost, when you lose, I immediately was chasing, so I just kept, the hole kept getting bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger, until one day, you go to the hole in the wall, and you can't get money out, and you're, you've a few grand, a few grand spent, and then that's when the shit hits the fan, as they say, you know, and,
2: so, what happened to convince you to get help in your sort of late teens, turning um, twenty?
3: Probably the final moment was when I, you know, uh, I was living on my own, and I probably I, I left the home house because I couldn't talk to Daddy. Daddy was probably on to me about money, and you know I couldn't listen to it. I was just running away, like you know. And I said to him, "I'm going to get get my own place here and get out, get away from all this." And was only running away from my problems and. When I hadn't, the problem was then when I when I left home, the money wasn't there to get as easy for me. Um, he he had a fuel business. Daddy so had a fuel business and sort of like access money, to cash. There was always way. there was always money around the house, and it was always it was always easy to get. Like if if you wanted it, and uh, you know when I wasn't there, that was cut off for me, I suppose. And I was living in and more, and I wasn't working at the time. And uh, you know, uh, like I, I had this always had this incentive that I always wanted to do the, a ski day for for. For myself and like I created this well uh, my first intentions was that I wanted to do this skate and, and and do this, and I sat for a long time with this whole idea and uh I went around and collected money for charity um to say that I was going to do this skate dive, and the money sat for for a while in the house until one day like it, it was almost like the money sat in the bag and it was almost like, you know, a magnetic field drawing me into to spend it, you know, to spend it. And in, in my mind, I'd rationalise, oh, sorry, right, I'll take a tenner out of it. I'll take a 20 pound out of it. And, you know, I, I rationalise so much to the extent where it becomes all right in my mind that this is, you know, it's all right. Like, I'll, I'll get away with this and, you know, I'll put the money back. And But the, the, the you always want to do the right thing when you're an addiction, but you're almost powerless. You can't. It won't let you do it, you know. Um, it's it's.
2: So was there a guilt attached to that? I mean, why was it that that specific? Well, look, at, stroke, I remember. I guess convinced you that, that, that something's gone because wrong. Because that right? was
3: probably the worst thing at, at that time I went to, um, to to fuel my addiction and my my friends come up, football friends um, come up to the house one evening um, and my manager um, at the time and like your friends should never be calling up to your house to to talk about something like to get your to get your life in order here, we won't have to do something here. she should be be calling up having the crack. Mm. And I realised then that something I broke down actually um with them and I told them everything. I says that I'm 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 screwed from gambling here. I'm just all over the place and my life's a mess and you know to to, to, to get the relief off off my shoulders, that was an unbelievable like a, although it was an awful place I was such I was like almost free from all this weight I'd been carrying for for the, for the past four years. You know, um, it was just like a an anchor had been had been taken off my shoulders, and you know I went to Ashin then, obviously at that time, and, and had a talk with him um, what I should do next, and he recommended going down to Kylarn and Galway, that's where he got his help, and then there was no question that's where I was going, and um, like I remember going down the road the next day to Galway, and it was a good a friend of mine and manager Sh- Seamus Goodwin took me down the road and um, I remember staring out the window thinking like I was never as glad to be going and to getting some help because it was just a world of chaos and like it's, f- it's so hard to describe to people that like, they don't understand it's just uh, it's just your head is like uh, I, your head is going so fast and there's, there's so much in it it's just it feels like oh my god it's just such a relief to to get to get some peace away from this disease
2: is that what the recovery is like for a gambling addict slowing that down a little bit just slowing your life down trying to declutter the head
3: yeah well they reckon when you when you get into recovery or in the rehab or, or whatever you would like to call it that it takes probably six or seven weeks for your brain to even start to slow down you know and that's where the that's where the recovery work starts to begin and I know the programme I went into three months but I felt that I wasn't ready yet I hadn't done enough work on myself and I was I was afraid that if I was to relapse again I would it could be the end of me, you know, and 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 I, and I, I made a decision at the time that I needed to work on myself more. So, thank God the the, the one of the directors of Ken Murra, uh, Liam McLaughlin, he, I spoke to him and he recommended to come down to the thigh and, and help out in the in the drug unit down there, you know, and uh, it was the best thing I ever done. You know? That
2: that's after your original recovery, you then went and worked in this drug centre. Well, I was about to say, as a coun- you wouldn't have been trained
3: as a counsellor no, at the time, but no, you would have been I, volunteering. I, I just was volunteering that, yeah. and I, I was, uh, uh, you know, I sat in the meetings um, and, and kind of helped facilitate the group therapy and um, it was just, um, it was the most wonderful experience. Uh, it probably changed me for a, a human being. Uh, probably, uh, I probably got the most learning working with them lads and I ever could get anywhere. It's just there were, people see people in a drug addiction and you know they just say look at that junkie or look at that there but I'm telling you I've yet to see a bad person in addiction like in drug addiction they're all good human beings see behind it all like I know a lot of them lads that went through that recovery course over the eight months I was there and I, sw- <coughs> I can honestly say that I couldn't meet a better bunch of lads I swear to God they give you their your last crumble or their bread like you're just you know this one the way I would always describe it is that they've grew up in areas where for me, like Racy was my go-to guy. Like I want to be like Racy, playing yeah. for Throne, and that was all you had done. Under more was play football and look up to these guys and um, these boys that grew up in these kind of rougher areas. They seen these people dealing in drugs with nice cars and nice clothes, and that's all they could see. Like you know, and they're like, I want to be like him, and that's 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 where it starts. And you know, they really have no chance from the start. And uh, but when they like when they get into recovery. Um, uh, like there's a few of them I know, and I stay, I stay in touch with a few of them. And they're in a sobriety a good few years now, and they're they're great fellas. Uh,
2: you couldn't quite resist kicking a bit of ball while you're in recovery yourself. I don't know if that's what they prescribe, but you couldn't keep your yeah. You my, keep, first,
3: keep my, first, my first, first, yeah, first recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Can tell us about that. <laughs> um, football to me was everything in life. I suppose I I, I probably had the wrong head on me. Um, that way as I would think football would get you everything and do everything for you, you know. And uh, um, I was actually probably addicted to football. It was an addiction, um, a real addiction that took over me. And it was one thing that gambling never took hold of was football. I could never overpower football, which is extraordinary. When you done, never gambled on football? And no, never. And I never... I could gamble all day in the bookies, but when time come to go to training, I would stop. Mm-hmm. It would, it would the only thing I would stop for and leave. And I wouldn't be late for
1: training. I would be there and train. it was just as extraordinary how... Usheen says the same thing in his book as well, that for whatever reason, it was the one place where you took the, your brain just going at an unbelievable speed all the time. And then in football, it was just a case of, and your 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 book echoes it almost exactly, that you can just get there and it's a place of peace for whatever reason. For
3: Peace, the only place I could find peace was on a football training field or on a match. Just for them, 70 minutes, it was... Just enjoy the game, like, and get away from all that stress. And and but when as soon as the whistle would blow, it would be back to in the changing rooms, back to reality, you know. And uh, the only people could couldn't understand how you could play such football when you were in such a bad place. But for me, it was easy because it's where I was quite happy. I was it's where my escape was to get onto that field and to to play. You know, I wasn't a gambler then. It was who I was and what I loved doing. It wasn't the the disease. Almost, it was like. A bubble where the disease couldn't get into, and I just, you know, it it, 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 just all I could think about it was the love of the game and playing it, you know.
2: Hence, you snuck over. Uh, did you get a ladder? You took a ladder over a wall. play in Play, play, play game did, yeah. sure In that recovery, I, I yeah.
3: did. It probably was looking back now. It probably wasn't the right thing to do. Um, it wasn't suggested to do them things. Um, but yeah, I, I took a ladder. I used to do a bit of building around the place when I was there. You have jobs and stuff to do in recovery and. I kind of got a bit of freedom because I was building walls and plastering walls and I knew where all the the tools were as a man would say (laughs) and I I knew where the ladder was and I knew there was a football hurling pitch actually behind me Um, and uh, one day uh, there was actually open GA meetings in the house so people that could come in and have meetings with people in the house Um, and there was was two good guys I met down there two makes and they were both from one was from Galway and one was from Mayo and I have to say they were great guys and uh, one of them brought me a I asked them would they bring me in a GA ball, you know, Neil's ball. And uh, they brought me in one, snuck it in probably, they shouldn't have had it, you know. (laughs) But um, I brought it out and and they kicked football and stuff. And Like I don't really know to this day did the nuns and people know I was out there doing that. I wasn't bothering anybody or doing any harm. But at the the end of the day it was against the rules and you shouldn't have been doing it. Um, I used to train and run up and down the the side of that when you come into Coon Clarn is it's a big entrance down and there's grass each side. I used to run up and down there. Um, and the, it was the coldest winter. That was the real year, the real bad winter. And uh, I remember going out and it was raining and snow and sleet. And people would say to me like in, in my own group recovery, you know you're you're mad like going out into that rain. And all I could think about was getting back. I was <laughs> I was in a good mind space and getting back playing football and with peace of mind. And that's all I could think about was getting back and. Playing for the throne again and playing for my club, and, and, and looking forward to maybe life at that stage, gambling free, you know.
2: What happened? What was it that dragged you back in?
3: Simple. Um, I stopped going to meetings. Um, I was 21 at the time. I had a few years of sobriety, and I suppose I was a young lad thinking that I don't have a problem. I'm like everybody else. I don't have this anymore. Like a few years away from it, I don't have this disease. And I actually stopped gambling. Probably, I stopped gambling. I stopped going to my meetings for probably a year till I actually placed a bet. But I believe the first bet happened when I was back telling lies again, and and that's when the real, that's when I really started to gamble again. I didn't actually physically put a bet on, but I remember going and getting fuel at my father's place and not paying for it. When I while I always paid for it. He wasn't there at the time, and I said I'll throw the money in later on, and I didn't do it. And I believe that's when I started gambling again. Um, just the deceit and 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 lies were coming back in, and um. From there, it created a, a complete chaos, you know. I didn't want to go back into recovery again because I knew how hard it was down in Coularn, and because I was in over Christmas Um, at such a young age. I was away from my family from the first time and it was really, really difficult. It was really, really, really tough Um, being down there and being away from your family at Christmas. and I didn't want to go back there, you know, and I don't know everything in my power not to. I don't know everything. Um, I even went over to London uh, to get away. Thinking that that was the right thing to do at the time, you know. Um, and
2: you, you were sort of forced out as well. Uh, sure. I w- oh, 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 yeah, out of Dramore, out of your hometown.
3: I was forced out. Um, I suppose um, it was an awkward situation where a friend of mine says to me, Look, at there's, you know, few people talking here, like, you know, and, and, and at that stage, like, I was, I was, I wasn't seeing. I literally wasn't seeing the way I was thinking and behaving. It was, Purely, and uh, I should have been locked up. Just I wasn't thinking. I was completely, the disease had completely like when you stop gambling for a period of time, when you start again, it always is worse than the previous time. It's, it's like a guy. It's like the wee guy doing weights in the corner when you are in sobriety, and he's waiting to pounce on your when you make a mistake. And I, I, I done more damage in that six months. Than I'd done in all my years of gambling. Really? Um, yeah, just, nice. just. And, uh, you know, a good friend of mine says, look, you're going to have to go leave the country here for a while or to keep that. You know, uh, looking back now, it probably should have been dealt with better. Um, uh, you know, I, I, but it comes back to the, the whole thing about the, the gambling. You know, people didn't understand, I don't think, how bad gambling was. And, like, I don't have any resent to the people that dealt with the situation. (coughs) Um, I just think they didn't understand. And like, if I was ever in the club and it was ever to happen again, and I was on the other side of things, like I would be definitely one for. Like, I I should have been sent down to recovery rehab, even though I didn't want to go. That's where I should have been sent. You know, but I I remember my family and I saying, "Look at down. You need to go back to Galway. You need to go back to Galway." And I was like, No, no, I can I can do this myself. Get on the meetings and, you know, we'll go over to London now. But my brother's over there Barry, and he'll um I'll get away for the for the time being and 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 that was really my I didn't I really wanted to stop gambling and I really wanted to, to, to not have a bet again and I went off that next morning off to London and um it was really tough. Uh, really, really bad place. Um I met my brother and all, I had to say goodbye to my dad who was in bad way of leaving and I met my brother over there who was in a barrel way who just were we're very close family and stuff and, and uh, you know he set me up as well as he could over there and I got work and, and that and I was off gambling for probably a month and I was going to my meetings and stuff and just stopped going to meetings again and fell into that world of gambling and I was actually working with my, with my brother and he was always asking me are you going to your meetings and I was like, no, or I was, I was, but I wasn't going to them. And uh, he knew like I was back gambling and it was just causing a friction between us. And then I actually got away from him and got my own work and I created a kind of rift between me and him. Who right. Was so, yeah, you're so, so close.
2: Yeah. So you've sort of isolated yourself in a big city and people even without an addiction, I think, can sometimes find that move to London hard enough and there's not many people around. You're struggling. You're literally struggling to put food on your table.
3: Literally struggling to put food on my table um, and, and getting good, getting great money every week. Um, I was working like and I was getting almost up to a £1,000 a week like and I didn't have a penny Um, some Saturday mornings I'd wake up and I had nothing on my bank account I was getting paid on a Friday and I would stay up waiting uh, till the money would come in my bank and I would be gone by 5, 6 o'clock in the morning so I had a whole week to go through with no money in London um, and I didn't want to t- ask anybody over there. As I built up a friendship with a new team and stuff, I didn't want to ask anybody for money because then you stood away and I'd been back gambling and I couldn't ask anybody. So, you know, it was not awful- I wasn't eating and I was going from here to there. I was, you know, taking things from shops, sneaking bars into my pocket to feed myself. It was an awful existence. and um, Only when you're in that position or in gambling or, well, you can un- understand... Like, uh, it must be very hard for you to sit there and, and get this all in your head, but if I was at a GA meeting sharing this now, like they everyone would, be, would, recognize everyone exactly, would completely yeah. understand Like I mean, and just yeah. say, like, that's my story. I, that's happened to me at a certain time. No, know? that's
2: why it's fascinating talking to you and reading the book and trying to work out because, you know, when I heard you were bringing this book out, I was remembering the headlines, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, uh, you know, Tyrone Ace in gay porn movie mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. And just to try to get inside your head to the, the point that, you're at in London where you, you end up doing that I mean you how did you come into contact with the the company there
3: I put on a, there was an ad on the paper and I was coming home one day in the tube and uh, it said male models like and I thought probably like I was, wasn't even thinking like I was thinking like this could be a photo shoot here you might make a few pounds in it like you know mm. and I was just so desperate for money I, like it got to the stage where I probably would have done anything to get money and I, as I mentioned in the book like I don't know if I hadn't been out of London I don't know where I would have went to And that is unbelievable, like, I could have beat up somebody, I could have killed somebody, I don't know, and that's, if that doesn't tell people the extent of where I went to, or, like, I met that company and, you know, it'd become pretty clear pretty quickly that they were a porn company, and uh, basically, they told me that, look it, we need you to do a shoot here but it's not with women, it's with man. and uh, there's no money in the women industry. It's where you get paid a big lump of money here if you do this with a man, and, like, like, for me, that always had a, you know, always, you know, I suppose, always had a woman or was always interested in woman. like, that was so difficult, and it's, it's, it's always, it's very hard to, to say, how could you do it, like, and I, I, I again, I rationalize in my head. I'll do this. I'll put it to the back of my mind, and I'll just—I I had an awful, I had an awful power and strength to just think. Of th- I could put things away. I could just do something and close it off in a book, in the back of my head, and it didn't happen. You know, I just had this. I suppose it was a a, a trait that I learned from the whole gambling, and um, I, I had this power to do that. Um, and like when I went through that that experience, it was like. I'm not homophobic, but I'm not you know in any way. I actually would be the other way now. I'd be very very supportive of of of, of, of the, that community. And um, but like I wasn't gay either. And uh, to do a porn pornography like um, was from a from a lad from Chumrey in the country. I grew up in a farm. It just was absolutely insanity. You know,
2: walking out of there that day. Can you take us back to
3: what was going through your head? Well, it was physically uh, f- visibly shaken. Um, I remember shaking and. I even now it gives me goose pimples thinking about it you know it I actually was shaking uncontrollably but I seen a labrooks across the road I literally got out of the place and I seen a labrooks I don't know there always were a beacon for me I could just see them they stood out a mile the big red building you know and I thought to myself right I'm going in here and that's where my I leave my worries that's where I'll get away from escapism from what i done and uh, I blew all, most of my money in there um, that 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 event and I left that that day. Go home in the train, and I had half the money i had earned from doing this 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 thing that I would never thought I'd ever ever go to. And uh, I was in a bad place going home that evening, you know, um, mentally. I was in a bad bad place, and uh, I took the next day the next day off work to try and get the money back. I gambled, I lost, and that in Brooks after that, and I, I blew the whole lot the next day. So we had nothing left again.
1: So you you got three thousand pounds for 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 the film, mm. and then you bought a Yorkie bar. That was the f- sum total of the food that you bought. Yeah, with that money, which is just an extraordinary. Uh, as I think Christie says in the, uh, said in a piece in the Times yesterday, you sold your soul for for a Yorkie bar. You know, which is just an extraordinary thing.
3: Yeah, well, when you come when I came out of that place, there was actually a wee newsagent in the corner, and I was absolutely I hadn't had all morning hadn't because I hadn't I had no money to even get there. I actually jumped the the terrain thing to 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 get to the place and um to come there with no money and to walk out with a little wage of cash like it was like uh, anybody in the right mind would have went and bought themselves if there were like something to eat. I that I didn't want to spend it on anymore. I didn't want to give the shop any more than a pound because I wanted to keep to £3,000 for gambling I didn't want to even feed myself because I wanted to keep the food the Yorkie bar I knew the Yorkie bar would keep me going and um, I went from there to the to the Labrooks and uh, I remember when I was in there all my worries were gone like uh, you know the whole being in there and the buzz when I had the bet on it, I was waiting. I was always a big man for betting online and in-play betting. So I could actually watch the scores. I could see it. like their tennis game, there she's winning. And it's going 15-30, 30-love, 30, 30 whatever. Or, and I uh, had to be watching it. I had to be betting online. It was no good to me to be betting. I couldn't. have went into that lab, Brooks, and put a bet on Man United and, to win tonight mm. and wait for it. I had to be there and watching it, you know.
2: Uh, when, Carl, when the news went public... Had you always expected that to happen in, in in some part of your mind that this thing is going to be seen by people?
3: Probably did somewhere in my mind, but consciously hoping that I would never be seen. You know, um, I I when when the news broke that night and I was lying in a flat in London, on my own. Um, I Remember the phone going off, mad on Twitter, and uh, I was thinking, "What is this about?" Like, because I never, I wasn't tweeting or anything, and I just thought to myself. I, the fear came over me. I knew, I knew before I looked at the tweet that this, this was out, and um, look it, I, I can't. Uh, there's no word out there that I can say that, that, that the way I was feeling when that, when that broke. You know, um, all I thought about was there's only one thing to do here, and that's to get out of this world. You know, and that's that's I, I lay like I, even through all the years I gambled, I could always sleep. I could just shut down, shut off and sleep and wait the next day to gamble again but I could never, I never slept that whole night. Never slept. Because I, I knew my family was going to see this the next morning. My brother was going to be ringing me and everyone was going to be calling me and all I could think about was, look at this, just end this, endless, you know. Just get out of this, I, I'm fed up with this life, you know. I'm fed up with going to the bookies. I'm fed up with this existing, just the gamble. And uh, I, you know, I thought about two things. Um going out onto the track I actually was unfortunate to be in a place a week before that I'd actually seen not seen but it was there in the, in the area that someone had threw themselves in front of a train and this is what I got, got into my head that I was going to, to land it all and throw myself in front of a train and I actually so much to the point where I got dressed and you know that next morning I just says right I'm going to do this I'm going to do this and um, I was reading the messages that my phone was going off family was ringing me friends and I could see text messages to say like they didn't even want to talk to me, brother. It was like, all I want to know is you're okay. Like they just wanted some response to say that I was alive, because they probably were fearing that 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 for the worst, you know. And um, my brother rang me, and I just happened to answer the phone to him. I don't know why, just to tell him that. I no, actually, sorry, I texted him first because I couldn't speak to him. I was at the amount of shame and regret and remorse I had, I couldn't speak to him. And uh, I says to him, look at. Right, I, can't, I can't. speak to you, brother. Me and him are so close. Like I said, I can't speak to you. I'm just out of ru- ru- guilt and sh- I'm disgusting myself. Like I'm just gambling has me killed here. You know, I need help. That's what I think I said. I need help. And he rang me. He says just answer, the, answer the phone. You know. And I rang and answered it. And uh, that's where probably he probably saved my life. You know.
2: Just, just through text, through the text and the calls. That's what pulled you back. And then that's what pulled
3: different. me back. That's what pulled me back. Just, just me family thinking of what. <laughs> they would be going through if i done this, you know, and that's what that's what stopped me from 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 going ahead with it. You know?
2: What's amazing, I think, Al, is that you're at that point and I guess with a lot of things, even a, a, a lot less serious stuff than what you're going through, oftentimes the, the thought of what people will think is worse than what actually ends up being the case. I don't know if this was true with you because you obviously go back into recovery, come out of recovery and are understandably wary of facing everybody, but... I mean, it seems like maybe we can talk about opponents who who, who might be saying the wrong kind of stuff. But you know, friends, family, people in Toronto, and all the rest of it, seem to have reacted positively. To uh, you know, kind of understood that you've gone through. You had you obviously went through a lot to go and do what you did.
3: Yeah, and look at uh, even to this day, people will, I suppose, judge me, um, but they'll never understand, like, why I don't it and 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 where I was, like you know, but at the end of the day, I'm just a normal lad that that got that got hooked in this addiction and happens to love football, and uh you know, like I always say the people that um, if I was never gambling or ever was in that way, I'd never would have done the things I'd done or been in the places that I'd been like purely because of this disease and like, I've made... I've I've said sorry to the people. I've tried to apologise to people that maybe have hurt or had some effect in their life. And some a lot of people have, have accepted and some people haven't. And, like, I, I suppose um, I have a lot of remorse for what I've done, some of the things I've done. And, like, a lot of people will think that you can't be using this addiction all his life, you know? But I always get... I, I, Honestly now from the bottom of my heart to anybody that I did hurt or like I, I can honestly say that I was sorry and I am sorry. But I, I can't keep saying it, you know, over and over. You know, if they can accept it, that's fantastic. If not, I can't change them, and I can't make them accept it or make them wanna wanna like me, you know. I can't make people out there wanna like me. Like I told my story, how it is. Um, and you know I suppose the only person I could change is myself. I can't change anybody else.
2: And yeah, because people have come out and said that you shouldn't have written the book. For example, there was uh, the father of this fifteen-year-old girl who you met through Tinder. You talk in the book how there are other strands to your addiction that you've you've had anger issues that you've looked for highs in other ways, like going on Tinder uh, while you're um, you know despite having a partner. And the father of this fifteen-year-old girl who you met. <laughs> well not knowing she was 15 of course it says to write the book so soon after the incident and to not express any remorse what does that tell you it feels like he wants to cash in on what you've done what would you say to to that man
3: um, I would say to that man look oh I feel sorry for that man um, I can understand his anger um, but at the same time I'd like to see where I or see where I'm a ma- like where I was I like where I was coming from um and what I was told you know um like I sh- I take I take full responsibility for being on it I shouldn't have been on it when I had a partner um it's had a lot like I don't think that this this father has, has seen the effect it's had on me my partner and her family and my family you know it, it's had it's had, a, it's had a big effect and um I was far from looking to cash in on it that's like I, I to be honest this happened when I was writing my book and the book is about honesty and I felt that because there was a story out there as well in the Sunday World, I think, about it, I said, there's no point, I have to tell the story. Like, I wasn't hiding away from it. I wasn't, like, the story is the story and it's it's complete. Like, I, I, I suppose I, I fully cooperated with the guards and if they thought that I was in any way off the wrong, I'd have been charged, like, or, or you know. Um, but at the same time... um. It's been tough, like, it's been tough even coming through, or what I've come through, to deal with this, because I, I, I could have been very easily... I could have went the other way, you know, and it's, you see in the news things happening all the time, and, you know, um, it would have been an awful... It would have been an awful... Like, uh, in the back of my mind, I always knew there was never nothing to worry about, but you just don't know. And um, to the father, like, <sighs> look what, um I suppose there's a few things cancelled there because of what he's been doing, and... Uh, uh, the one thing that I, that was keep, was postponed. There's my book launch, and that was probably the more the most thing that I wanted to happen because. He, yeah,
2: he's contacted people to ask them not to. Media organisations asked him not to interview. You, yeah, uh,
3: I, like I was never going to mention um, the incident. I was never looking to to interview the whole thing. Um, something I'm not proud of, obviously, because I shouldn't have been on the thing on the way and start off the start off, but. Um, he. I don't know where he gets the idea I'm looking to cash in on his daughter. I just don't see, um, I don't see what, what where he's seeing that point of view from. Um, all I could say to them was that I wish he would look at it from, uh, instead of looking at it with like, blinkers on, I would wish he would look at it from the, the picture as it, that it is, you know.
2: When was the last time you placed a bet?
3: April 2014, first April, April Fool's Day, would you believe? <laughs> right. That's so uh, a funny coincidence.
2: And you're very much, it's quite a common theme, the the two sort of relapses you had, it seems to be, stop going to meetings, probably don't think in your head it's that big a deal, you'll get to one the following week or whatever it might be, but that that's the start of a slippery slope. Is that the only way to stay on top of it, to constantly be in the recovery process?
3: Yeah, without doubt. Um you go to the meetings and you see boys off gambling 15, 20 years and they're sitting in there and they they go to their meeting every week and <laughs> there's a reason why them guys are sitting there and there's lots of people not because they go to their meetings every week, um, and that's that's one out one thing out of the whole relapse is that I've come to is that like I have to I'm ba- I'll be battling this disease till the day a day and I have to. Uh, stay on top of it and by, by doing psychotherapy tr- hopefully going into that career path then that'll help me as well as, as going to meetings, you. that's know?
2: what you're, you're training you're in the middle of studying up to be a psychotherapist and counsellor
3: yeah I'm in my second year uh, with PCA college there and uh, it's going great and look at it if I can give that bit of hope and strength to somebody that's 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 struggling um, then you know and, and maybe help a life or two then it's probably been in the end of it it's probably been worth that pain I've through myself, you know.
2: Listen, you've been very good with your time, Col, and you know, there's so much more. I mean, I do think people should go ahead and read the book and, and, and try to get a sense of um of kind of what you've gone through and maybe use it as a as, as a tale and, and you know maybe it can inspire people as well. Just one thing I did touch on that we haven't come back to was the the issue of having to go back and playing intercounty football because this is another layer to your story that a lot of people don't have. You're in the public eye like that. Couldn't believe this when I read it in, in, in your book to prepare myself for the inferno as in this sort of state the heat that will be coming on you from everyone really. Uh, I jumped right into the middle of the flames. I would go online into chat rooms and onto discussion boards, type in my name and wait for the poison to flow. That was your way of preparing of yourself for going back to play for Tyrone.
3: Yeah, um not a lot of fun. I've got that I've got that through to me a few times um no, but look at I suppose um I'm incredibly strong for what I've went through mentally and it was all because of doing things like that um, don't get me wrong you can say something to me and it would maybe hurt me still but you know I can let it go a lot quicker than I would uh, probably otherwise and, um, I have to say since i come back to the GA, like I, I'll tell you I read Gareth Thomas's book and I yeah. was a big inspiration Prior, and, isn't it? Just because he obviously done something he come out that he was gay and at that time it was very difficult, and he could have chose to retire and but he come he chose to go back out and to face his demons, I suppose as to say, and I used that as a bit of inspiration and um the yeah the i I just thought that when um when you know Gard could do it, that you know surely. You know, I know mine was a different story, but I have to say, the response I've got from most players has been really, really good and respectful. And bar the bar the minority, um, but
2: there've been a few here and there who've taken been a few. Like, and I kind of
3: disappointed in the people that've done it because I think they, if they did, if they didn't know how bad it was for me, I hope they'll know now by reading the book. Um, and I, like I know I said something like, like, I, like I can forgive anybody if they if they come up to me and say, look, Cahal. I'm sorry for what I said, and, you know, uh, I didn't mean it. I didn't know how bad things were. Like, even now, if I, met, if I meet players next year and they say that to me, I'd be the first to shake their hand and say, look, no bother, forgot about it, like, you know. But it was because it was such a traumatic event for me, I, I didn't think people would have went to that level, you know, to, to try and get that age. Um, but um, look, at football is what it is, and I, I fully expected that... In an Ulster Championship match or when the the heat, the heat of the battle that I was going to get through that this threw up at me so that's why I, I, I had to go make myself kind of st- uh, have that bit of steel about me you know
2: alright well the book is called Out of Control How My Addiction Almost Killed Me and My Road to Be- uh, Redemption Colin McCarran. I'm sure it's not a barrel of laughs coming in and doing these sort of interviews so we do appreciate you th- uh, coming in thanks very much
3: thanks lads so he's almost
2: like having a second captain in the team <laughs> second captain first captain whatever Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the
1: fuck <laughs> happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the
0: city knew about it, but no one had seen it.
1: It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Mm-hmm.
2: There you go, Carl McCarran, one of a growing number of GA players who have now spoken publicly about their gambling addiction. Usher McConville was, I guess, the first. Uh, Niall McNamee, Davey Glennon. It's, uh, you know, these are the people who've talked about it. In the book, McCarron quotes a figure of more than 100 players having privately contacted the GPA about a severe gambling addiction. That's more than 100 players contacting the GPA. That's as of July this year, presumably when it was going to print. And so hopefully we succeeded in Uh, or call succeeded in giving you some sort of an insight into the problem and into the kind of wreckage that it it can cause to both the person in the middle of it and the the people around him. Uh, Call himself says he's now getting calls pretty regularly from people suffering from addiction. Just on that recent case, we mentioned McCarran meeting a 15 year old girl through Tinder. In July of this year, the DPP decided not to prosecute McCarran over the case. And in a letter sent to the girl's parents, a senior prosecutor outlines that the defence of honest mistake was accepted by the office. So this is from an independent.ie piece, which is written around the time that emerged that he wouldn't be on the late late. Uh, In this case, this is from the letter sent to the father of the girl. In this case, there was evidence to support this defence. The suspect and your daughter initially made contact on a website that required legal age to be on the website of 18 years of age her Facebook page had a date of birth which showed her to be 19 years of age the suspect said he believed her to be 19 years of age the lawyer concluded that it would not be possible for the prosecution to overcome this defence and that therefore there was no reasonable prospect of a conviction so that's where um, that's where that one ended and this is pretty much where this podcast ends I think Uh, we have got a football show out Murphy, which we recorded yesterday we talked a lot about Tottenham Hotspur at the behest Mm -hmm. of a barrage of listeners one guy Based over in, I think it was Evan Based over in
1: London there Turns out You do, the you know, a massive squeeze On Ken Early Isn't often required uh, One Well, I mean, one Mildly well, rebuking email A well-made argument Is a well-made argument Oan, No matter how many I'm people Make that Spurs. argument, I suppose There's a lot of love for
2: Liverpool Sergio Aguero's hamstrings Body Facial hair Body hair
1: Yeah, it kind of, of It, it, it all got a mention yesterday, On Alright, thanks very much, Cameron
2: Thank you, On. Thanks million uh, for listening We'll chat to you again soon Take care
0: Uh, that's the second time it's gone oh, they never go home, they never home. They never home. Those, those, those Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more